Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom, every day. Well, hey there, and welcome to this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods, and we look for more ways for you to add those science, technology, engineering, and math concepts to your everyday classroom to get more kids excited about and interested in those things. Today, we have a special guest, George Valenzuela. He is an educational coach. You can find him on Twitter at GeorgeDoesPBL, that's J-O-R-G-E. And you can also find him on his website, LifelongLearningDefined.com. And blogging everywhere, speaking, all sorts of great stuff you're doing, right, George? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad to have you here and and really to tell us, and and he's got a lot of great ideas about computational learning and computer science. So let's just start off, George, by just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in education. Well, as stated previously, my name is George, and I am an educational coach with several organizations. And these organizations include Old Dominion University, where I teach in the Department of STEM Education and Professional Studies, and I am also a doctoral student with the university. Lifelong Learning Defined, where I serve in the role of lead educational coach, Buck Institute for Education as a national faculty, the International Technology and Engineering Educators Association as a national teacher effectiveness coach, Little Bits as a lead educator, and ISTE, the International Society for Technology Education, as both an author and speaker. And in these spaces, I coach hundreds of educators, both face-to-face and virtually, in computer science, backwards design, unit planning, project-based learning, engineering by design, STEM, and also in lifelong learning. I also contribute to books, academic journals, how-to blogs, webinars, and workshops. And I do all of this to help teachers really develop a designer's mindset for their instructional designs and a system for connecting what they know to what they don't know. And I do this mainly by helping the teachers and their schools align educational policy, needs of the workforce, and good research into their work with students. And for this purpose, Chris, I have been extremely busy. I have been <laughs> to 25 states and over 50 cities. Wow. And, and just listening to all those things, it's like, how do you have time for anything else in life, right? <laughs> those, are, those are a lot of great things, George. Thank you so much. Um, you just have to make time for what's really important in your life. Yeah, and you can really tell uh, just listening to, to some of those things you're doing, George, you, you definitely view education as an important thing. And, and I can tell a lot of those things you're doing are with computer science. Now, how does, how does STEM fit into that whole computer science picture? Actually, what I think folks need to understand, there's a major difference between STEM education and STEM careers. Mm-hmm. I personally define STEM education as engineering. If kids in classes are building, but not designing through a design process, I can't call that STEM. Now, STEM careers are obviously defined a lot differently. For example, health and medical jobs are considered STEM careers. And according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 58% of all new STEM jobs are in computing. So we need to involve computing into our STEM classes. There's no way around it, Chris. Yeah. But this is not hard to do. It's just a matter of including both computational thinking and aspects of computer science into our design challenges. Yeah. 
58%. Wow, that's that's a big chunk of the STEM jobs involving those aspects of computers and programming and, and things like that. Exactly, exactly. So, so you, you mentioned computational thinking, George, can you can you explain what that difference of computational thinking is or what that idea is to our audience? Sure. Um, computational thinking is a problem solving skill that involves decomposition, abstraction, pattern recognition and algorithmic design. I recommend starting computer science here because computational thinking is both a foundational and higher order problem solving skill that is understandable to both machines and humans. It's also a cross-curricular skill that can be taught and applied in several classes, like in computer science, math, science and engineering, but not limited to. And let's say some of our kids don't want to become computer scientists. Right, yeah. Understanding how computational thinking provides them the know-how for how problems are solved in the creation of the technologies they use every day. It's simply awareness. Yeah. So like those cell phones that they use every day, those tablets, those every, every, every way that they love using computer science and computer technology, those things all are based off of computational thinking. Exactly. Exactly. And, and even aspects of hardware design like networks. Yeah. So just thinking already, any teacher listening to this is probably starting to say, wow, this is, this is complicated stuff. I've, I've heard about these things, but this sounds pretty complicated. George, you're an expert. I, no, it's not complicated at all. You know, I know a lot of, a lot of schools, they start with the hour of code and, and code.org, especially those, those are a good starting spot, right? Yes. Um, code.org is a great starting point. And the hour of code is celebrated all over the world during Computer Science Education Week in the first week of December, and also in recognition of the birthday of computing pioneer, Ms. Grace Hopper. Yeah. Now, the Hour of Code began to introduce students to computer science and also demystify it. But an Hour of Code can be held at any time. And I highly recommend any educator to visit code.org and try any of the many online tutorials. It's just a lot of fun in tandem with learning. And, and a lot of those times, those are things that can be that starting point to get the kids involved in something else, to get the kids interested in something else. Or maybe you as an exactly. educator, as, as an educator, you realize, wow, uh, my kids are asking for more of this stuff. Now, what do I do? You know, so, <laughs> so that's where that's where someone, I guess, like like you comes in, George, because because you're really an expert. You've, you've got a lot of those materials, those resources, those ideas. So. And, and again, we're, we're chatting with George Valenzuela. Again, you can find him on Twitter at George Does PBL. Uh, and again, all those different ways to contact him will be available in the show notes as well. George, you, you came to education. You, you were a teacher, right? So tell us a little bit about how that background drew you to where you're today. <laughs> oh, it's a funny story. So my education story began when I was in 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And I would sit in the back of my geometry class and watch Mr. Nichols draw shapes on the board. And I did not know why I was learning this stuff. Ever have that feeling, Chris? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a math teacher, so it, it happens with a few of my students. I'll say that, yeah. So I approached him one day and I said, sir, why are we learning this? At the time, I didn't realize it, but he didn't know either. After an awkward pause, he said, George, learn it now and use it later. Now, to a kid whose main focus in life was to play sports, socialize, and trying to find a date for the prom, <laughs> this was not a good answer. Right. I went straight to my school counselor and asked her, ma'am, how much math do I need to take in order to graduate? 
And she told me only up to 10th grade. And that's all I needed to hear. And so what do you think happened after 10th grade? Uh, you stopped taking math, right? Exactly. Fast forward to college where all my friends and I have declared computer science as our major. But in order to get into the program, I had to take entry-level exams in reading, writing, and mathematics. Uh, and my it reading, back it came back. <laughs> exactly. And now my reading and writing were fine, but not so well in math. I went straight to remediation. Ever hear of a class called college algebra? Oh, yeah. Yep. And that's where I went. And I actually did well by calling all the formulas I learned back in high school and got an A. Oh, great. But that did not work in pre-calculus. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Because that's just reciting facts and information that you probably already learned at one point. Exactly. So I went straight to tutoring and those guys only helped pretty girls. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I had to hire a tutor and I met a guy from Barbados. His name was Sean and he was a master programmer. In our first session, I asked him, Sean, if I'm learning about computers, then why am I taking four math classes? So he said, George, computers are made up of two things, hardware and software. Now, the hardware is anything you can touch, anything mm -hmm. tangible. And mm -hmm. the software are your computer programs on your hard drive. And without the software or apps, the hardware won't work. Now, this was 1997, and I didn't understand what he meant. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have a computer yet. So he's like, George, what do you like to do? At the time, I hadn't done anything yet. So I said, play <laughs> video games. He said, okay, take Street Fighter. Ever hear Street Fighter? Oh, yeah, definitely. Classic. Okay. Yeah. So, when, so he said, when two Street Fighters are fighting and one gets struck in the face, either he will duck or get struck in the face. Make sense? Yeah. Now, a computer programmer who wrote code in a sequence of instructions using logic that if this happens, else that happens. And as the Street Fighter jumps around the screen and uses other techniques, more complex algorithms are written within um, data structures. And yeah. that's how that happens. And this was the first time, Chris, someone ever connected something I'm learning in school to something in my life. It was very powerful for me. And I got a B in pre-calculus and an A minus in calculus. That's awesome. And, and that's exactly why kids, if we can get them interested in STEM, oftentimes it is because we relate it to those things that they do every day. Exactly. Exactly. So right before I had graduated, I got a contract for $37,000 to work for a computer firm in New York mm -hmm. City. Wow. And I thought I was rich. I <laughs> all of my friends how rich I was. But my dearest auntie, Mrs. Best, who actually died a couple of years ago, yeah. she told me that I should teach. And I, at first I said no, and she insisted. So I asked her, why should I teach? Yeah. She said, you have a very unique way of explaining things really well, and people understand you when you speak. But I still said no. And then she told me that her school needed a summer school tech ed teacher. After doing the math, which was about $700 a week, I was there. Yeah. That summer, I met 25 kids who did not know why they were learning math, English, science, and social studies. Sounds the familiar. Way, the same way I did not know why I was learning math back in high school. Yeah. As a result, those kids changed my entire life and career. And my purpose became to connect learning for, for students in my technology classes and now the adults in my workshops to their own lives the same way Sean did for me back in college.
That's awesome. And instead of having the goal of I'm going to make big money in computer science, that can also be a very, very great goal for our kids to have. But if if they don't have anything past just that, I want to make money. Yeah, it's it's never going to work for them anyway. So no, it should be a passion. And I think I think a passion is anything that you love doing. And if you love doing something, you will be good at it. Now, if you can connect passion to a purpose, and that always involves helping others, then I think that that is, is the most important thing. Yeah. So, so like for me, I never look at the money aspect. I just look at who will this help. Definitely. If you educators can connect passion to a purpose for those, those kids sitting in your classroom, you've, you've got it made. And so I'm guessing that you've seen just in your time being in classrooms and, and helping different teachers and in your own classroom, some pretty exciting and innovative STEM things. Uh, any you want to share with us? Sure. Unfortunately, life can only be understood backwards, yep. but it must be lived forwards. <laughs> okay. that's, a, that's a good thought. Yeah. And so 10 years ago, I was not the teacher I am now, but I still get to teach students at ODU and the Math Science Innovation Center in Richmond, Virginia, and by visiting classrooms so that I can model teaching for other teachers. Oh, that's good. Right. And so recently, we actually did a project with students on coding, and the students learned elements of computational thinking and applied them first to role play. Um, mm-hmm. flowcharts, the hour of code, and engineering design. It was actually really fun and extremely cool to see them solve problems, actually build circuits, and then control them with code. So it wasn't just a, hey, kids, today we're going to learn about computational thinking and, and no. scaring them all with big, fancy words. You, you, no, built, no. You, know, you built it up to that. That's great. Yeah. Yep. And that's actually all in my blog. So definitely educators should check out lifelonglearningdefined.com to, to read more of George's great thoughts. Um, everything always works so in the classroom, right? You've never, no failures ever. Oh man, I have failed so many times, but if you learn from each of your failures, then it's not really a failure. But I, I actually fail more than I succeed. Yeah. And, and kids need to know that. Kids need to be reminded of that, that it's not easy to be a successful anything unless you're no. willing to, to take some risks and, and fail sometimes. No, I don't even think that anyone is successful. I think that you have successful moments. And all success, in my opinion, really is, is when you do something well. That's a, that's a successful moment, but you are never a success. Like, you know, I'm George. And yeah. so I can be successful at a given moment, the, the same way I'm happy or sad, or, yeah. um, you know, I'm ecstatic. And Definitely. so I think if we do something well, then that is a successful moment. And you have to fail in order to arrive at those successful moments. Mm-hmm. So George, earlier, you mentioned about uh, code.org as a great resource. Can you can you tell us some other good resources that would help some educators listening to add some more computer science or computational thinking to their everyday classroom? Sure. I love little bits, you know, and there's a lot of good ed tech out there. There's also mm-hmm. Vex, Lego, um, Ozobot, and Makey Makey is also good. Yeah. Also, go to ISTE.org. I-S-T-E.org. Yeah. ISTE is rapidly becoming the hub for everything computer science. And I would join a professional learning network, read their blog, take an STU class, 
and even earned the ISTE certification for educators. So those are those are good things where you can gain a little bit more information. And oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of ed tech out there that is really good, and there's a lot of educators that are making videos, are um, you know writing about it, even even researching and mm-hmm. explaining it all on ISTE.org. Yeah. ISTE has um, books, has a blog, um, has a magazine, you yeah. know, just a lot of great resources. Yeah, so definitely teachers find that. And again, like you mentioned, a, a professional learning network, just, just oh, finding sure. other, other people to be part of your tribe, I guess, other people with those similar teaching ideas and interests. I find a lot of those people on Twitter all the time. And, and again, that's how I connected with you, George. Oh, yes, um, sir. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Little Bits and you mentioned Little Bits back at the beginning. Can you just right. give viewers if they haven't ever heard of Little Bits, what it's about? Yeah, well, I'm actually a lead educator with Little Bits, and I think Little Bits are a great scaffold for helping students learn how the various um, technologies around us work. Okay. For example, why doorbells ring, why mm-hmm. elevators open and close, or, or why the iPhone responds to touch. Also, using Little Bits in our projects helps our kids understand how to build circuits, how to code, and also how to develop their their computational thinking skills. Mm-hmm. And to learn more, educators can actually visit littlebits.com forward slash education. Cool. So there's even resources right there on the Little Bits site to give you a little uh, bit. There are, there are um, free lesson plans, um, PowerPoints, videos, rubrics, you name it. Every, everything you need to make things especially easy because a lot of educators, it's tough to try something new for that very first time and think, yeah, I don't really understand it all. And often a lot of times the kids are, are often the best resource because they'll just figure something out. They'll try something new. They'll do oh, so. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I think that a lot of educators, um, I think a lot of us now are career switchers. And a lot of us in college may have learned you know, how to teach through reading textbooks mm-hmm. and maybe a few lectures. And so I think that it's important to, as an educator, even before, you know, doing STEM or um, using ad tech, I think it's important to understand instructional tools and strategies. You know, knowing my students, um, think of instructional tools and strategies as a big, you know, a toolbox. And if you're a mechanic and if you have a toolbox, you know that when every car walks in, you're not using every tool. Right. You actually know which one you have to reach for. And I think a really good educator knows exactly where to go. And it's just a learning process. And it's also failure, as, as you previously mentioned. Yeah. And if, and if one tool doesn't work on a particular kid, that's, you don't just give up on that kid and say, well, the car's broken, I can't fix it and give it back. You, you pull out a different tool, you keep trying and, and doing something. Exactly. Um, it was Dr. Rita Pearson um, rest in peace. And, and she said, every child deserves a champion, an adult who will not ever give up on them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you, you mentioned about kids doing projects uh, with little bits. You talked about PBL as well. Tell us, tell us a little bit about why you, why you like that, that idea of project-based learning for, for deeper learning. Well, um, project-based learning or PBL is an instructional approach. It's just a recipe for how to teach. And so for any type of deeper learning, I highly encourage educators to teach computer science or really any subject in some form of experiential learning, which is learning by doing, but also with reflection for metacognition. And for um, PBL specifically, 
I would look at the gold standard um, PBL model by Buck Institute for Education, yep. by DIE.org, and yep. also the framework for high quality PBL at HQPBL.org. Okay. Haven't, hadn't heard of that one, but I'm going to have to check that one out too. Um, and, and kids, I mean, like we talked earlier about, you know, that, that connecting that passion to a purpose to really be successful at something. And a lot of times that's where that PBL aspect helps spark a kid. Exactly. So, um, now we've talked a lot about different things about you're being an educational coach. You're, you're not necessarily teaching so much in the classroom anymore. You're still doing different teaching, but you're also modeling how to teach for teachers. What, what's that like, George? Well. Think of, well, there's a lot of educators who need to understand how learners learn and mm-hmm. how they and how they build knowledge. And they also need some real reliable and systematic strategies and approaches. Mm-hmm. So think of it as baking lasagna. If you have never, ever cooked lasagna before, where do you go? Uh, uh, the Internet. You go to YouTube and you find yourself a recipe and you use yep. that same recipe three, four times. And once you know what you're doing, you can remix it and make it your own. I therefore model teaching recipes for educators in the form of protocols in workshops and also through coaching. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's awesome. And thinking through just what you said earlier about tools and, and the idea of a mechanic, that's, that's that same thing too. If you, if you just always worked on cars from the 70s and 80s, and then you were trying to work on a car from 2019, it's completely different. And so you, need, you have to, you have to learn new techniques, new tools, new ways to work with today's cars as opposed to the cars of the past. And it's also important to have some really good handy tools in the toolbox. Yeah. You, know? and you so you are the, the training school for all of us to be great mechanics for our kids. Well, I appreciate it, but there's a lot more of us all around the country. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely people, people can find, find the stuff that you're doing. How could, how can people find some of those things and resources or, or even to have you come and speak? What, what would be the best way to to go about finding some of those things? Sure. So if, so if you'd like for me to come out and work with you and your teachers or, Mm -hmm. or for a keynote, Mm -hmm. uh, um, you can book my services through Lifelong Learning Defined Incorporated at info at lifelonglearningdefined.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at George Does PBL. And Lifelong Learning Defined is also on Facebook. Awesome. So definitely connect. I would, I would highly suggest you guys even just follow George's Twitter account or, or other accounts. Uh, like you said, J-O-R-G-E Does PBL. And you can find great ideas every day, current blogs you're doing. And again, that's part of. Yeah. And also a lot of webinars as well. Yeah. But that's, again, that's part of finding your tribe, finding your professional learning network as teachers and not just being content teaching the way you always have Uh, fun. Final question for you, George, because I always like to ask everybody, if you could have dinner with one person from STEM past or present, who would it be? Ooh, that's a great question. That's why I like asking it. (laughs) (laughs) I would have to say Aya Badir, female engineer and the inventor of little bits. I think it's fascinating to, to um, create something. Mm-hmm. That really changes how people learn, play, and work forever. And her TED talk a few years ago inspired me immensely, unlike mm-hmm. any other person in STEM today. But I am also a big fan of the late Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. Oh yeah. So both Melinda and and um, Bill Gates 
have extraordinary work. And I would love to meet all of them as well. So one big dinner party, George, Bill, Melinda, Steve, <laughs> Elon. And I have a deer and an I have a deer. Yeah, for sure. I, I bet, I bet you'd probably just spend most of the time just looking. I, I would spend most of the time just sitting there and listening to them. Like, here, can I pass you a roll? Or <laughs> I don't think, I mean, I don't think I would even say anything. Like all of these folks have changed how people work and how people play and how people live. And I think that what my contribution is, is how people teach. Mm -hmm. But if these tools weren't available, then, then a guy like me, even a guy like you, then, you know, what would we do? Yeah. Exactly. So um, I feel that their work is just so important. Yeah. Well, I'm recording this on a MacBook and uh, it's going to be, <laughs> it's, it's going to, it's going to be posted to iTunes and other podcast apps. And we can, we can at least thank Steve for that. So. Exactly. So in 20 years from now, somebody will probably be saying, boy, if only I could have George Valenzuela sit down with me for dinner and tell me, what it's like to be a, uh, a teacher and, and how to be a teacher. Uh, I, that would I, be an honor. That'd be an honor. That would be an honor. Oh, and there's one more person at, at the party. Oh, all right. Mr. Fred Rogers. Oh, oh, definitely. Mr. <laughs> Rogers. For sure. Incredible. For sure. For sure. Oh. For sure. I read a biography of Fred Rogers a few years ago, and, and I literally read that every year to remind myself how important it is to be consistent. And, and he was a teacher. And, yeah, and yeah. he modeled that every day. And you can watch, I mean, his shows are like webinars on how to be a teacher. Oh, oh for sure. Um, there's a quote, and I know that I'm not saying it exactly, but he said that the most important people in the lives of children are teachers and parents or are parents and teachers. Yeah. Therefore, the most important people in the world are our parents and teachers. But when Mr. Rogers said that in the 70s, I think there were a lot more parents in the home. Yeah. Now, I think that, you know, it's unfortunate, but I really do believe this, that in many of our children's lives, educators are the most consistent adults in their lives. Yeah. And so I think now a good teacher is the most important person in the world. Yeah, very, very much so. So teachers, remember, you're doing the most important job in the world each and every day with your kids. Keep doing a great job. Keep learning new things, uh, just like just like George. Uh, again, George Valenzuela, thank you for for joining us today and sharing us just a little bit about your all the wisdom and insight that you have into to being a good teacher. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. And this was really great. And again, you can find more stuff about George on lifelonglearningdefined.com. And if you want to find more episodes of the STEM Everyday Podcast, check out iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And find me on Twitter at Daily Stem. And until next time, keep on doing that most important job every day. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit remarkablechatter.com.